and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Memento, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Guy Pierce and Joe Pantaleone. Pantaleano? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm bad with these uh, Italian names sometimes. Uh, my name is Cameron Tuttle. I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we didn't upload. We both had short-term memory loss, and we were busy trying to find a murderer. Right, Cameron and I were lost in the mountains. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, good. I'm doing good. Um, we're back. We're I back. know it's I, been it's been a little while, and actually, it feels really weird because I'm in a brand new house. That's kind of why we didn't we weren't able to to do anything last week, and we also um, uh, definitely had some short term memory loss after a fun weekend last week. But uh, oh yes. Um, but yeah, I'm in I'm in a new place and it actually feels really weird to do the intro here. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. You're probably just you just have like this nervous energy. I can feel it. Yeah. yeah. Cameron's got a lot coming up with wedding stuff. I don't really I think it's probably been about a month since we've recorded with each other. So at least three weeks. Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, I was gone. I was out of the country uh for two weeks, so and then when I came back, I think I was jet lagged probably. Uh, and yeah, no, but it it really it feels like a return to form in some ways. And I'm really excited to be taking uh, some time to study one of my favorite directors. Um, it's funny. We mentioned the uh, the fun weekend that we had. We went on a, a bachelor party last weekend and we had a lot of fun. Um, we were up in Tahoe, but it was it was interesting because we had a lot of film related conversations. And one of those was about I don't know if you were involved with this, but it was about the um, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore of directors? Um, and I found this to be a, a pretty interesting conversation. I don't remember exactly what I said. <laughs> I don't remember my exact answer. Uh, but I think what it was, I think I originally said John Ford, Billy Wilder, um, uh, Spielberg, and then Nolan. I think that's what I originally said. And then I changed out Ford for Kubrick. Um, mm. Do you remember? Do you remember that conversation? I wasn't in that conversation. I was just Got thinking okay. at like at my current time. And I think for me personally, the first name that came to my mind was George Lucas, uh, which is just so <laughs> insulting to a lot of people, but definitely Spielberg as well. Um, I don't know why. Like the next one that came to me was like Fincher. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I would agree with you. Um, Kubrick belongs there. Yeah. And there was, there was one more um, that I was blown away with that was from like, the black and white era movies that we watched that was so good. What was that guy's name? Not Wilder. Um, it wasn't Wilder. No, it was Wilder. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely Wilder on there. Um, but I get, I, I always think about that other guy who's like good at making any movie, kind of the Spielberg of his time uh, that did, man, he, he, he did a bunch of movies that like, I think like some like it hot. Who's that That's guy? Wilder. <laughs> no. There's another one. There's another one that did like Western mystery. Like he did like everything. And he's like completely underrated. Um, man. I'm who drawing a blank. I, I know. Sunset, who did Sunset Boulevard? 
also wilder. Man, okay. See, that's this why is... he's uh, that's why he's he's one of the goats. Yeah, I mean, he really is. He's up there. There's, he's up. There's there one me. more guy that I can't think of that we watched a bunch of his movies. Although, also like Hitchcock really blew me away with the apartment and stuff. So mm-hmm. I definitely, I definitely think I like Wilder more than Hitchcock, and I definitely like Kubrick more than Hitchcock. And got to give it to Spielberg. Oh, well, you're talking about Hawks, Howard Hawks. Hawks. Yeah, um, I'm talking about Hawks. Yeah. So yeah, Hawks. He did uh, Red River, which which you really liked. Um, and we watched, uh, um, I think we watched, uh, the big sleep, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the weird thing about Hawks is that I didn't love him too much at the time, but I feel like I had a more similar journey, uh, to the way I felt about Spielberg with Hawks. It's mm-hmm. just Spielberg just had, is having a crazy run. Like I just can't even, absolutely. I just can't even believe the amount of movies that he's been involved with. Um, no, I, I think I think he deserves to be up there. And and I was trying to I think I was trying to break it up by sort of eras in some ways. You know, you only get four slots, but um, I was I was trying to kind of conserve that. And I think Kubrick and Spielberg cross over in a lot of ways in the same um, in a similar era of sort of Hollywood, new Hollywood revival in the 70s. Um, Kubrick's a little earlier, but Spielberg is really responsible for that. Um it, for for a huge revival in the Hollywood system, the studio system, and and I think, in a lot of ways, um, we did we, you know, we have to give him a lot of credit for the summer blockbuster as a concept, you know, and so there's there's just these things where um, Spielberg, if if he was never, you know, the one to do it, films would basically look completely different than they do now, um, and that's that's pretty. That's, you know, you got to You got to recognize that for sure. And I think mm. Scorsese for me um, is kind of a personal one who who I just love. And I, I think probably would deserve to be up there. Um, but in some ways, it's harder. You know, Spielberg probably deserves it. Not more. Not that I like his movies more necessarily, but um, just the impact that he's left, I think. And then I think Nolan, in terms of modern filmmaking, um, for me, I, I think he has had one of the most insane back-to-back runs of any director, uh, probably ever. I mean, I think Kubrick probably has, you know, less great movies than, than Nolan. I, you know, it, and, or similar, the same amount of great movies as Nolan. And that's pretty, that's pretty impressive to say, because both of them are, you know, Kubrick, I think he only made 13 movies and probably 10 of them are great um, or in the conversation for being great. And Nolan, you know, I don't I don't know exactly his number, but it's probably pretty close to that ratio. Yeah, I mean, I think he still needs his slow Barry Lyndon movie for me to fully (laughs) love Nolan. But it's hard. It's hard to not appreciate his movies, especially when you're watching them. I think Definitely. that's when that's when it really clicked. You're like, oh, I might have been taking him for granted, right? Yeah. Um, and and I'm glad to be visiting Nolan stuff with the Oppenheimer movie coming out. Um, Oppenheimer is shot up in my watch list just because I've heard mixed things about Asteroid City, uh, which I really wanted to see. Um, and I guess this can I guess dig right into what we have been watching. We can we can talk about the movies we watched 
uh, at the bachelor party, which I, I love the list that, that went through. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. But uh, I did want to say I got out to the theaters yesterday and saw the new Spider-Verse movie. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of disappointed by it. Oh, okay. I found myself Interesting. sort of annoyed with it, which I really did not expect. Um, there's no doubt that the animation's incredible. It's got some just jaw-dropping animation frames. Um, but I feel like we have been in that space before, that it's like taken for granted. Um, now that I've seen so many movies that have this, this visual flair, and I, and I do think that the first movie... Um, the first movie to me had it had an incredible pace with showing the audience unique animation styles at the right time so you could appreciate it. Um, as far as the animation goes in this movie, it's top tier, but I did feel that it was like overwhelming. Like it was like so much that I kind of started getting like fatigued at a certain point. Um, and then the plot didn't didn't it, it feel like it, it felt like it didn't have like the same amount of heart uh, and kind of coming of age like like digging um, that the original had. This movie f- had a little bit more of like a like an anime flair, and I haven't watched a lot of anime, but there was something about it that was a little bit more like this character is fighting these villains and he's like a hero. And it's like, it seems like that's the primary focus. Sure. There's some family drama, but like what I liked so much about the first one is that there's that tension between miles and his dad, who's a very strict cop. And then his uncle, who's, you know, a little bit rougher around the edges. He looks up to his uncle so much more because his uncle's all like cool, but he's involved in the wrong crowd I don't know. There's just something about that where I was like, man, you could feel like a moral pulling uh, on top of the way that he's being faced with his issues. And this movie has some of that. Um, but the the familial conflict never feels all that heightened. Um, for Miles' character, I think Gwen's character has something interesting going on there. Um, but there is, I guess, I mean, I guess minor spoilers if you haven't seen it. Cameron, do you, do you care if I share something? Um, why don't you don't? Because it it just came out. Okay. And uh, sure, I I I would like to see it. Um, also, I'm interested because everybody's. You know what's weird? Every when a movie comes out and it's got like kind of universal acclaim, maybe especially superhero movies. Um, I have even less of a uh, of an interest in going to see it. Um, so when I, when everybody was like so hyped about Spider-Man, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll probably see it, but I don't know when. Um, but now that you're, you're saying like you had some, you were disappointed, you had some problems with it. Now I'm more interested in, in seeing it. So maybe we could, we could argue about it. I would say the first half of the film is the strongest. Um, there's a lot to like there. It's just towards the end and some of the twists just it just feels more cartoonish, like kind of, it, it kind of reminded me of like a TV cartoon towards the end, mm. um, which I, I just, I don't know. It, it left me, um, 
a, like a lot less excited about where it's going, and there was something about it that felt like a corporate franchise thing that's mm. trying to be set up. I was like, man, can you just... I don't know. Like, I was like, I just didn't... I don't want to watch a thing that makes like that makes you want to like invest in a new franchise or start connecting right, right. other franchises and stuff. Um, and it's funny cause the first movie has like the spider verse thing, but it feels separated from, you know, I guess outside Marvel properties. Um, and this movie is more like tongue in cheek with that stuff, but, um, they're definitely wanting to make more of these animated films. Uh, with Miles's character, and I, I, I felt like this movie was cheapened by that sentiment. Mm. Um, Same in this, in a similar way that I felt about Civil War. Yeah, I would say yeah. Um, it 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 does something s- sort of similar to that, uh, and I think that's what I loved about the first one is it was contained. It's what mm-hmm. I loved about Puss in Boots. It's not setting up the Shrek universe, you know? <laughs> it's just like its own story. Right, right. Uh, and it, there's something satisfying ab- about watching something that doesn't want your, like, obsessed time with a, with a franchise. I don't know why sometimes it just doesn't hit and other times it does, because when I saw Dune, I was all on board for another part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just not entirely sure what the fatigue is coming from, but I, I was, I would say I'm leaning towards disappointment. Um, okay. Still, well, are you still... gonna see? Are you gonna see Flash? Because I'm, I'm excited. I, that that movie looks kind of insane, and uh... I, w- I will go see it with you, Cameron. Actually, if you want to go see it, me and Juzo used to do sort of an annual. Um, we go and watch how bad the the DC movie this year is. Um, and you know, we haven't done in a, in a couple of years, although we did do justice league, the, the Snyder cut. Yeah. Um, I was there for that. I think you were, you were, yeah, I'm pretty sure us? I forced you to watch the Snyder cut. I'm pretty sure we recorded a bonus thing for it. Well, we watched me and Juzo and Kazu watched it in my, my room. You were there. I think so. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure I was there I for that. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that day started early, I would say, or that that evening started early because of the Snyder yeah. cut. <laughs> but uh uh yeah, but in any case, um I do want to get into the movies that we that we watched uh on our on our trip cuz that was a yeah. lot of fun. Um do you want to do you have the list or, or are you going to go from the top of your head? I don't have the full list. I think the main movies of conversation uh, starting off was Face Off. Yeah, um, amazing. Which people really wanted to watch. I'd say that's a great group movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> then I think in the morning of the second day, I forced everyone to watch Surf's Up, which I think is a great morning flick. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to pay attention. People are cooking. Um, I would say 50% engagement from the room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Then Juzo put on Phantom Thread, which was more of a 20% engagement, I would say. And the 20% <laughs> was me and Juzo. <laughs> Don't leave out King. King uh, yeah, got King, to watch it, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, interesting choice, but Juzo was kind of like, I'm going to watch this 
and you guys can do whatever. And he kept saying, <laughs> you guys can change it. But it was almost better that it was on because then we could just continually bully him about it. Um, well, I love uh, personally. I love that movie, um, and I I think it's so so gorgeous. And even you know, even people who were kind of popping in and out, they would stop for like a scene that was that had just this atmosphere and the music. And you know, there is something kind of magical about that movie. Not a very good group movie, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then then we wanted they wanted to finish face off the second night. Uh, which I do think... Did you guys get around to finishing it? It's a good question. <laughs> uh, I... Like, people were in and out, and everybody wanted to be together for face-off, so I felt bad if I started it. So I ended up putting on World's End, which I think was a smashing hit. That like, is I, a I, great movie. It's a great I, movie. I think it was a good choice. I mean, that or Hop Fuzz, but I think World's End, especially for a bachelor party where they keep going to different bar hopping... Um, we had had our fair share of that with <laughs> with the trip, and uh, I w- it was really cool to be able to close out the night all together watching that funny movie and cracking jokes and things like that. So, um, yeah, and I don't know. Uh, did I miss anything? Yeah, someone list? put on La La Land, um, oh. <laughs> which we were outside for. So we I was not, not there for that. We did not watch. Um, and then, yeah, Face Off. I think that's all. Well, there was a um, tragic moment that happened. I, I came inside <laughs> at the end of La La Land, and um, I made it pretty clear that I wasn't a big musical fan. But it seemed like the rest of the room that stayed inside to watch La La Land was like at the verge of tears. They were <laughs> in love with the finale of the movie. So I, I, I think I opened the door and I said, hey, guys. And I was met with... Uh, this harsh wall of profanity telling me to get out uh, because they didn't want to hear, they didn't want to, they didn't even want to hear what I had to say. You know, they just wanted to enjoy the end of the movie. Sure. And uh, I'll never forget that, Brad. So. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that, that was pretty fun. I, I do really think world's end amazing party movie and face off incredible drunk movie. I mean, it really is. It is that, that movie is absolutely insane and when you like when you watch that movie in an altered state and you come back to consciousness everything <laughs> seems fake you know it's like you you misremembered the movie but but then you watch it again and you're like no this is exactly exactly how it happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah no well it's great it's a great movie it is very no, fun it is it is uh, it's insane. I love it. It's so funny. Yeah. Well, this is Cinema Spectator. We usually try to pick one movie to discuss. Now, well, I mean, come on. We're always bringing up other movies. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars your way to support us. But even more importantly, sharing this show, our small production, giving us a rating. I have to urge you. It helps us get more listeners. It helps us find new audiences. So if you enjoy it, give it a rating. Share the show. We really just appreciate you guys being here, listening to us ramble on and on about our adventures and, of course, our experiences watching movies. Cameron, I'm sorry if I cut you off about the other things we've been watching, but I think we got to get into this movie. No, I, mean, I, I agree. Nolan I think, month. I think we do. I think we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're going to kick off Christopher Nolan month um, a little early. I mean, I think it's June. It's the end of June, but... Uh, we're going to sneak one extra Nolan movie in here. Um, 
and you know, Nolan, I think for me and probably for you as well, I don't, I don't know necessarily your background with him, but for me, Nolan was kind of a revelatory, uh, film going experience when I was, when I was younger and sort of in the teen area, you know, seeing, seeing the dark Knight, um, seeing Batman begins, especially as well. Um, and, and then seeking out some of his, uh, you know, non superhero movies was kind of, it was, it was pretty eye opening. And then also sort of the way that he experiments with, with time and with, you know, the kind of what he does in this movie with going backwards, um, as an early film, you know, lover in my, my, you know, junior high, early high school years, he was someone who I was like so stoked on and who, you know, frankly, I still am incredibly in love with, with m many of his movies, Tenet excluded, but, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about that. Um, and I, I think, I think this movie is just the quintessential example of, um, what Nolan understands about, uh, film, making a film about sort of high concepts and that is a film that's also appealing to, you know, a general audience that's entertaining, that has a sort of thrilling plot or thrilling through line that keeps you engaged. Um, and also it's about something that maybe you hadn't thought about before. And I think for some of his movies, um, he walks that balance very delicately where it's, it's kind of high concept brought down to, to dumb levels. Um, and I think this is this is kind of a perfect example. This is not his debut movie. Technically, it's it's a it's a movie called The Following, um, which I haven't seen. Um, I think that's his only movie that I haven't seen. But um, is kind of I don't know if I necessarily count it as his debut. You know, in in some ways it is. In some ways it's not. It's kind of, it's like a little over an hour, um, black and white. I think he he shot it. Uh, on basically like a micro budget. And then, you know, it, it was successful enough in the festival circuit that he was able to, to get this movie made with, um, you know, relatively large actors. Actually, in fact, I was, I, I had never put this together, but, um, this movie has a handful of the, the, the matrix cast, the original matrix cast right mm. after they were, um, you know, they were in the matrix. So, you know, this movie came out in 2000 matrix was 1999. Um, so, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of interesting that he was able to, to get these kind of, you know, relatively big name actors in his small little thriller about, um, a guy with, with memory loss. Um, you have never seen this movie movie before. Am I correct? Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Okay, so um, I I do before we get into you know sort of the the major thrust of the movie, I do want to hear about your um, experience with Nolan, your background with him, where you first saw The Dark Knight, or where you know um, what is what are you coming into this uh, sort of understanding his his filmography? Yeah, I mean I've known about Memento for a while, and Nolan is one of those directors that I, I think for our age range, the dark Knight was just one of those movies that 
had its teeth sunk into middle school boys aggressively, right? (laughs) We were in middle school when it came out. It felt like within one weekend, everyone showed up to class saying, you want to know how I got these scars? You want to know how I got these scars? (laughs) And they're like pretending their pencils are knives. And they're like, you want to see... Actually, you want to see a pencil trick? And they're all slamming their heads against tables and stuff. And like, what is even going on? Like, what is this buzz about? Yeah. And as a young middle school boy who's learning to grow up, you hear about this movie um, called The Dark Knight Rises. You hear about the Joker. And you're like, oh, I know Batman and the Joker. And then you see the poster. And you see his mouth has, like, slits and scars on it. And I remember thinking that The Dark Knight is probably the most terrifying movie ever made. And I would never <laughs> watch something that scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really thought, like, this is a horror movie, you know? And I, I don't know if I can handle it. Um, and I do remember watching Batman Begins and that not helping. Because Scarecrow is actually it's a scary pretty freaky, too, yeah. You know? Um, Batman Begins... As as a middle schooler, I didn't like. I didn't understand it very much. Um, revisiting it, it's like the best Batman origin movie ever made, and it's it doesn't have like it doesn't have like the the um, like the villain tropes that you would expect. Like the first Batman's supposed to have, you know, the Joker or something. Instead, it's it's like focused on. Um, Ra's al Ghul, which I think is like, I, I mean, like in the comics, that's that's he's a key character. But as a kid, it's like, why well, I've seen the cartoons, why have I never heard this guy? You know, mm-hmm. this is like such an interesting um, villain, and also like there's like some there's like high concepts they're talking about that I didn't understand as a kid, but for some reason I was engaged with it, and I thought Scarecrow was still the main bad guy, but. Like, I was confused why Qui-Gon Jinn was trying to blow up the city. So, um, yeah, so I kind of had, like, this this weary relationship. Then I finally saw The Dark Knight, and I th- I was so inspired, you know, by what that movie showed from its opening se- sequence. I think the opening sequence, being absolutely afraid of the movie, right? <laughs> And and having the opening sequence with that like ticking and the mask pan and and it's just like oh this isn't a movie I don't want to dislike this is a movie that I'm like in love with like right yeah, away you yeah, know yeah um and so yeah Dark Knight thought it was amazing thought when did you see it I I think I saw it probably like like a year after it was out of theaters okay something like that um it was pretty late yeah. And I remember thinking that it was um, also also for for all the spoilers that I had heard, like it was still shocking. I was still amazed by it. Um, and the high concepts of like, you know, I'm not the hero that this city needs and the hero that it deserves or the idea of like the Joker completing Batman, though they were just at the reachable height. For my age range. I think that's the other thing that made the movie really hit. Because I was totally, like, yeah. wow, like, I under- this is saying something so deep. Like, for <laughs> me, I was like, this is, like, so deep, you know? Um, and now it's been overanalyzed like crazy. I'm sure if it, I watched it at my age range when it came out, like, my current age, I would have been like, 
okay, like that was that was really good. Um, and the concepts were like there, but they're not like what made it amazing. But to me, I was like, this is like, you know, forget the Odyssey. Like this is like true art, you know. <laughs> um, and then to to be able to follow that up with watching Inception, which for me was like just just like jaw dropping. Like for me, I was like, I've never seen a movie like this. I've never seen actors be so cool on screen. I don't even know who Leonardo DiCaprio is, but I love him. Uh, and then the way that it's kind of open-ended at the end, it like had it, it. I think I saw it like around high school. My, it's like my gut was like dropped in the ending, but I found myself being like, that's Nolan. You know, that's Nolan. That's, I remember having that feeling watching dark Knight. Mm-hmm. dark Knight. That was a smart movie. This movie's even smarter. Was it mean? <laughs> And then you get into those like fights with your friends talking about like, did it tip over? Did it not tip over? You know? Yeah. Um, I imagine it's what a movie like seven did for like the adolescence of the time. Right. Uh, the whole like what's in the box thing. Like I'm sure, sure that it had some of the same um, influence on pop culture at the time. Then, you know, being able to watch interstellar, I think that was probably the first time that Nolan misstepped for me. Um, and I don't agree with my initial viewing of that movie. Um, but when I saw it, I was like, what the heck is this movie even like trying to say? Like, what is the, like, like it's show- to me, I, to me, that was like beginning, a beginning of a realization that I, I kind of loathed artistic movies that I couldn't wrap my head around. Mm. and uh i think cameron you were probably a big guide in in understanding even back then like what made that movie special um i did i don't think i denied that the movie was um bad because i was definitely engaged in it i think i just continually looked for a sci-fi movie that i couldn't find when i was in high school i was looking for something that was like Star Wars, but more gritty, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So it, I, I was trying to find sci-fi that was like not so focused on boring science things, um, and it had adventure, but it was grounded. Um, like, like I wanted to find something like Mass Effect or like a, a heavily updated um, Star Trek. Something that was like more exciting, and I I do remember really liking the Star Trek reboot movies at the time. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Interstellar came out years later. You know, years later, I was like, "This is, this is a much better 2001." You know, I <laughs> like for me, I'm like, "This is a much more like a much more audience friendly, um, way to like have people consider, um." really things that are beyond i i think it it tackles things that people don't want to think about i think it tackles things that are like um kind of i don't know it it's difficult to put into words and i think that's what makes that movie really special is that it can't put it into words it can't put it in a script but it somehow shows something that you're like i don't know why it's itching something back there and i don't like yeah. it right um, and then Dunkirk again, another sour experience for me in theaters. 
and then revisiting it um, mm. much, much better. Um, Dunkirk, I felt, was poorly edited the first time I watched it. So and I wrong. know I know that that is the wrong take. Um, but I felt myself attempting to grasp what was going on. Like it was moving too quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I couldn't remember my my expectation for Nolan was to look for something meaningful, to look for something to discuss. Like his his presence was um, demanding of a conversation with friends afterwards. So to watch Interstellar not be able to put it together and then have conversations felt frustrating. To then go see Dunkirk and try to piece together what was even, like, what was the timeline? What was going on? To come out of the theater and have someone explain it to me after I watched it. I was like, I just watched it. Like, <laughs> I don't understand, like, why that couldn't have been, like, Saving Private Ryan. I remember mm. having that thought. Like, why couldn't that have been just, like, a straightforward action movie? I don't understand. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I kind of had this strange experience with Nolan where it was like, I watch his movies, I don't like them, and then I swing back on them, except for his three releases, The Dark Knight, Inception, and The Dark Knight Rises. Those three movies for me... And probably Batman uh, Begins, right? Oh no, you didn't like no, it. No, no, Batman yeah, Begins, yeah. I did not like the first time I saw it. Right, right, right. Um, those three movies, for some reason, were dumb enough to <laughs> kind of draw me along. And I think, I think the Dark Knight Rises, um, to me, is just like a fantastic blockbuster action movie. Um, there's nothing too deep about it, and I and I ate it up for what it was at that time. Like to compare that to watching a movie like. Transformers, which I loved at that same time. Like, The Dark Knight Rises, of course that's better than Transformers, and I love Transformers, you know? Uh, <laughs> sure. And yeah, yeah. So so to, to watch that movie after that and be like, that movie wasn't just, like, great. It was it was amazing. Like, I'd, I'd never seen anything quite like that, right? Um, so I, I've, I've always been mixed on Nolan, and I think the older I've gotten, the more I've watched other movies that have been more boring or less elegant or less meaningful. I think he does really have this indulgent nature of bringing entertainment on top of something deep or something interesting to talk about. Um, and his obsession with time is, is a quirk that at this point for me is like more endearing than distasteful. Um, so I love it. I think it's, I think it's fun. I mean, the thing is, um, and Tim, Tim Smith is all this, this is the only criticism basically he has for Nolan movies is that he's, he doesn't like how obsessed with time he is. Um, my, my thing is he's obsessed with film because he's obsessed with time and film is, is a representation of, um, how we perceive time. Editing is a representation of how we perceive time. And I think this, this movie, and this is where I want to transition Thank you for giving me your background. I that was that was important in my mind um, in in how we might talk about this movie. Um, I think in terms of of you know I want to transition in, into going into momentum, but um, th- this in, in some ways 
sets the clock. This movie sets the clock for, uh, for Nolan, uh, pun in- intended. Um, but he also, you know, he also maybe does it the best in this movie in some ways. He does the time uh, thing, the, the exploration of time the most succinctly in this movie than maybe in any of his other movies in a way that I think um, could only happen in a movie that's like exploring very directly tied the, the sort of um, the quirk of the film is that it goes backwards. Right. Um, and that's also what it's exploring sort of uh, psychologically. And that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, the, the philosophical ground that it stands on is, um, what if you couldn't remember what you just did before? And so exploring the, the, the way that we look at movies, um, in the same way that we, um, would look at ourselves if we had never, you know, if we couldn't remember where we were, I think that's a, that's a fascinating concept. And in some ways, this movie unlocks a lot of <laughs> Nolan's other obsessions in the movies that that um, follow it, right? And I think I'm I'm interested to hear what you what you think of this uh, this quirk of the movie. Um, did it kind of was it was it insightful for you, or was it more just annoying and kind of lackadaisical? Because I I could see it going either way, and some some of the some of this movie is a little silly to me, but I still love it, and I still think it's it's kind of an intriguing um, look into Nolan's Nolan's mind. Yeah, I think my viewing experience was fairly positive. Um, mechanically, it's an impressive feat. I think the kind of like reverse engineered mystery that plays out in the movie is, is engaging. It keeps you going till the end. I found that the film was either just a tad too long for me, or I needed some kind of break, um, from like the forgetful nature. I would have liked a little moment with one of the characters for like 10 minutes, but I know that kind of breaks what he was aiming for. Um, I just found myself towards the um, last third of the movie having a hard time keeping track of what was going on, Um, particularly the scenes at the house um, with the the girl from The Matrix where they kind of have the same entry scene three times in a row, but like each time it's a little different. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of difficult for me to be like, wait, why is this happening again? You know, like... and having to try to wrestle with that. Then there's the scene with like him, like in a room with his wife stuff and like the burning stuff around that. And then there's like, like the, the hooker. And I was like, what? I'm really confused. Like what this whole, like what is going on here? What does this have to do with anything? You know? Um, so I found myself getting a little lost towards the last end bit. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly like, to connect it to the beginning quickly. Um, like answers come really like really quickly, like a pitching machine, you know, like doom, doom, doom. Okay. That's where he's the car, the clothes, everything. Right, it's like, right. Whoa, like it's, it's coming together very quickly. Uh, almost within the last two memories. Right. 
Um, I just feel like there are some pacing issues uh, in in this film. Nevertheless, I liked it. I I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about recommending it to people that I, I was just talking to my dad. I I think I might recommend it to him because I feel like the movie does something that would draw him in. He likes kind of these different sort of. My dad has very strange taste. <laughs> and my dad is also upset that we haven't watched Signs as well. So he's, been, he's like, how many movies have you watched? You haven't watched Signs yet. You know, like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, um, well, to be fair, it does open with the most violent thing in the movie. So, you know, that is one one concern <laughs> if you would just, sure, sure. just turn it off. <laughs> Well, I guess sure, I, I guess before we should we should kind of break down the the idea behind the movie. It's a little hard right. to discuss plot wise because one, it's backwards, and two, if you give away any of the plot, it kind of spoils the rest of the movie. Um, but basically, the conception behind the movie is there's a man um, who's on the hunt for vengeance against his um, his wife's murderer uh, and rapist. And he, uh, after this incident happened with his wife, um, he was, he was attacked and, you know, in the same incident, um, and he suffers from a, uh, rare, but actually real condition, um, where he doesn't form new memories. Um, basically it's, I think throughout the movie, they kind of go back and forth on whether it's a psychological issue or whether it's a, um, you know, whether it's a brain issue, but basically what it does is, um, after a fixed point in time, um, you know, so he knows who he is, he knows, you know, basically how he got to the incident, but after that he can't remember anything. And so his memory kind of resets every 15 or so minutes. It, it kind of depends. It's, it's somewhat random, but, since he's on this hunt for vengeance against his his wife's killer, um, he has made himself a system of notes, a system of tattooing himself to um, to remember basically certain key details and important facts. Um, and so throughout this, uh, we open with what we presume is him finding the uh, the killer of his wife. Um, and then it backtracks to, um, a, I guess a certain point in time, but, uh, it, it backtracks throughout the movie. So we're, we, we open in the same way that he does in that memory. We don't have any other recollection of, of who he is basically. Um, we just open with this shot of him killing this man um, and then we have to fill in the gaps along with him as he backtracks and, and goes, you know, back through his, his memories. Right. And, so, and it's not really him going back through his memories. Yeah. Right. It's more, it's, it's us. more like, it's more like we watch him shoot a guy at the beginning of the movie. Right. It's like the first, like literally the first thing that happens. And then you're like, well, uh, why did he do that? And you get five minutes before that. And then 10 minutes before that. And then like 15 minutes before that. And so like it kind of like the scene will end right where the last scene started. Yeah. And it just keeps doing that. So it is sort of a mental exercise to try to keep track of <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. And I would say the beginning does a good job of like connecting them pretty clearly. Um, 
I think the most difficult thing about this movie is having memorable starts and memorable ends, right? Those those key points in for for him to get to him shooting the guy that is his killer or is the is the killer, right? Um, like the transitions between those scenes, uh, you see it at the beginning of the scene, and then the next scene ends with that beginning. So like th- whatever that pinpoint is in the timeline, it's, this movie is like an editor's dream as well. <laughs> like, um, like you have to, you have to be able to remember those or things. nightmare. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so I found that that was probably adding to the pacing issue. Um, there's great scenes like him holding the liquor bottle, uh, which when he's holding it, he's like, am I drunk? I don't remember being drunk. I'm not drunk. You know, why am I holding this bottle? You know, like, and then you're like, okay, so wherever, like the, the next memory ends with him holding the bottle and you're like, great. Like I, this is like a really easy link for me to understand what's going on in the timeline. Um, I well, I, w- that- I will say, and why, why it might be confusing to you or to, to other audience members. Um, there is also sort of a, a second uh, intercutting that that Nolan does <laughs> throughout the movie, where he's having a prolonged conversation with someone who um, you don't find out who it is until the end, but it basically opens every every sequence. Um, and 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 when you uh, sort of when it when he's having this conversation, it's filling you in in the same backwards you know linear way it's filling you in on more and more of his own story as well as sort of his story before the accident, basically. And so within the backwards timeline that you're having to piece together, um, you're also having to fill in the gaps of this conversation where he's um, explaining the things that have happened before. And so it is a little bit of a juggling that you have to do with a movie where uh, some things you do have to just kind of remember um, before they get to the next sequence. And for me, I, th- I find that really interesting and kind of engaging, but I could see how someone would, would turn off at that and be um, a little annoyed where it's like, you know, they don't want to do this, this sort of exercise in, in remembering the, the linearity and remembering, you know, what, what sequence is happening next. Um, so I, I could see, I could see that, but, uh, for me, I find that that's kind of the most compelling part of the movie is piecing together each, each little bit, um, you know, the connective tissue and, yeah. and putting together the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're listening to this and you're like, this sounds awfully confusing. The good news is that the movie is actually fairly approachable. I just... Yeah. I don't know if anybody could ever make a movie like this perfectly, right? Sure, um, yeah. Especially, like, f- uh, <laughs> in the modern age, like, for me, I'm kind of like, man, like, sometimes I feel like I have, <laughs> like, ADHD or something. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Like, maybe I just missed it because I don't have a, a long enough attention span, right? Like, that I think things also, that I this movie kind of um, gets better on a second viewing, which yeah. maybe is another theme for for Nolan movies, where oh yeah, true becomes becomes more clear or becomes more interesting on the second viewing, um, 
And I think for me, I've seen this movie probably two or three times, although it's it's been a little while since I've seen it last. And so I had I had completely forgotten about <laughs> um, the uh, the sort of Teddy plot line. I forgot about who he actually was. And so right. that reveal was still just amazing to me. I was like, mm. this is awesome. You know, this is so cool. Um, and then, you know, I guess, I don't know. I think, I think this is one of those movies where, um, Nolan, I always associate him with a sort of elegant messiness, um, where he has, he has some quirks and he does some things that are so, um, kind of intellectual and in a little bit above or maybe a lot above other directors who are who are working in the space you know things like um going in dreams inside of dreams and you know things like going backwards through a linear story and telling things piecing things together um and then the cross cutting and you know intercutting and whatnot um to me the messiness of what he does, I forgive that because of the attempt. And most of the time, I'd say like 90% of the time it's spot on. Maybe there's like 10% where it's like, yeah, that didn't really work quite as well as it could have, or maybe this could have been, uh, ironed out a little bit more, but 90% of the time it's flawless. And when you see other movies try to do a similar, um, a similar leap or a similar sort of juggling of these different elements. Um, a lot of times it just doesn't work and it really falls apart. And so that's why I think I, I really appreciate Nolan's filmmaking as one that, uh, truly he, he, his conceptual nature of, um, how he, how he puts together his films, it really works for me in a way that probably it doesn't, you know, not that it doesn't deserve to, but there are flaws in that way that he does things, but mm -hmm. I forgive them because his movies most of the time are just genuinely entertaining and brings high concepts down to low levels. So, yeah, no, I, I think um, that's probably the most impressive Thing with this movie is that it shouldn't work uh, but as a viewer even as someone who's I, I like to consider myself more casual although at this point with our episode list I don't know if that's true um, <laughs> I found still being a little bit more like laid back not fully engaging taking notes which I don't do in movies but like it was still a, a pretty good easy experience to sit through I understood how it all wrapped up. And yeah, the last the last 20 minutes even though I was lost at some points, I was like I got to finish this, you know. I was going to watch it in two parts and I was like no, like I'm I'm invested enough to like stay up a little too late and and watch it all the way through. Um I think Nolan is going to be one of those directors that he's he is going to be loved for the the time that we really f like fell in love with his movies like i i would say this movie all the way up until um 
Dunkirk is like that. That's like the golden age. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see about Oppenheimer. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it will be good, but um, Tenet could be a little blip. We can, we could continue the the great run that that Nolan has. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if Tenet is like a horrendous movie. I do, I, <laughs> I, I kind of do think it's in the same ballpark as, um, as like. The Dark Knight Rises, but instead of having the backbone of a familiar face like Batman, it's just sort of banked on Christopher Nolan's obsession with time. Mm. And like, so it has the same stupidity, like don't think about it too hard elements that The Dark Knight Rises has, but it's just sort of in his mind space. So he's like, let's create a universe with time agents and stuff like like it feels like kind of blockbuster dumb. I felt myself fairly in, enjoying it, even though I had no idea what was going on, uh, which is the movie's biggest issue, right? Uh, it should have had subtitles for the entire thing. But, um, yeah, it, I just like my concern with not concern, but my predictions with Nolan is that he he may or may not go like into the Kubrick space where he starts making like movies that are not as approachable for people. But if you actually sit down and watch them, they're, they're probably still pretty good. Um, that's kind of where I see him going or this Oppenheimer is going to be a total snore, which is, is my <laughs> biggest, that's my biggest fear uh, is that I think it's going to be really boring. Um, okay. All right. All right. Well, let's. We can save the Oppenheimer discussion for when it comes out. Okay. <laughs> well, it's only in a couple weeks, but I do want to. Um, I do want to kind of get into some spoilers of, of okay. Memento. Um, yeah. And I. I do think. Um. Well, I. I don't know. I mean, for you, you said the the sort of back half kind of loses you a bit. Um. I'm interested in that because, um, so he goes to, he goes to Natalie's house, um, and, you know, you see that first scene where, where she walks in and, um, she's beaten up and you kind of have this, this, you know, maybe this is what we're, um, you know, cause she's throughout the whole movie, she's had a, a black eye and a bloody lip and whatnot. Um, and so maybe we're going to get the answers of, of how this happened now. Um, and so she, she talks about Dodd and you've already seen the sort of Dodd subplot already, um, of him kidnapping Dodd and, um, and then, you know, so you kind of see something, there's that, that first sequence with Natalie where, uh, she kind of is sullen and, and coaxes him into, uh, basically kidnapping Dodd or going after Dodd. Um, and then you see the same scene again, pretty much. Uh, but this time she's, uh, she's being completely, uh, awful to, uh, to our main character, um, to Leonard. And, that to me is like such a juxtaposition that I, I was like leaning in more on the second time 
but it sounds like you were you were kind of confused about that that sort of second time happening that that conversation i think i was more confused about who's dodd what is his relationship with um what's what's the girl character's name natalie natalie what's 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 his relationship with natalie i'm kind of confused about natalie besides the fact that she's a bartender so i'm just a little like well dodd dodd is natalie's boyfriend um and no. I don't think so. Yeah. No, because th- I thought the drug dealer was Natalie's boyfriend. Oh, Dodd was. Uh... See, that's where that's where I got a little confused because, um, like he's not wearing his clothes. He doesn't know. Like he's wearing the he's got the nice car and the and the like the, you know the um kind of Miami Vice clothing. So, like, Teddy is making comments throughout the movie. Like, you don't even know, where'd you get this car, you know? How do you even know it's your car? Like, that that whole thing where he's, like, kind of making fun of him. Um, and how do you even know what clothes you're wearing? Like, like you don't even know, like, how you ended up here, right? Uh, and then Natalie is like, we got to get rid of Dodd. Right, right, right. Um, Dodd is, and she explains this in the, um, I forgot. She explained this in the second time that they do this when she's, when she's insulting his wife and, you know, being abusive towards him. Um, Dodd is a guy who owes Jimmy money. Um, her boyfriend. Right. So there's like, it gets a little complicated where, Jimmy is dead, right? Jimmy is dead at this point. Jimmy is dead, but Jimmy is Natalie's boyfriend, and Mm -hmm. Natalie knows that Leonard has Jimmy's clothes and car. Right, right, right. So she then is like, well, you, like, like, uh, the drug d- or the Dodd must be, you know, Dodd must be the guy who killed Jimmy, right? And so, yeah, it's just uh, I got a little confused with that because I was like, I don't even know who, like Dodd is just the guy running around shooting at him, right? And yeah. I'm not quite sure why he's shooting at him, right? Um, and I still don't know exactly why Dodd is shooting at him still. I didn't actually figure that out, right? Um, because I'm like, Dodd is just, sh- he's shooting at him when he's got the, I think there's a scene where Dodd pulls, he like runs him off the road, right? And he's yes, like, yes. where'd and you get this car? Up. Yeah, yeah. Right? He's like, where'd you get this car? Yeah, because he's going after Jimmy. Right. Like, he's and he after- knows it's Jimmy's car. Right, so he's going after Jimmy. I don't know, like that whole drug dealer subplot I was a little lost in. Sure. Yeah. And and how Natalie knew to use him, uh I'm still not quite sure. Like well, think, when did she I found think, out with the beer, right? When they're spitting in the beer, there she's like, Oh, you are like really like dumb. Or like you you don't you really do forget things. So then she's like, Well, if that's the case, I can use him. Yeah. But but the beer thing happened 
way after she beat him up and made him go after Dodd. That's like that's where I was getting a little lost, right? Uh, I was like, yeah. so at what at what point does she know that she can use him, and at what point does she know that he does she ever know that he killed Jimmy? And if she doesn't know, like that, that's where I was like, I'm, I don't know, I'm not gonna think about it too sure. much. Sure, I know? think I do think I think it gets messier, um, probably in the in the last part of the movie. The yeah. timeline, timeline-wise, um, I think it, it it becomes less clear. And I would say, um, probably it works better to you know in terms of the construction of the movie, where um, at the back half you don't you don't you're not anymore trying to figure figure out like you've already exhausted your your brain power in some ways in the first part of the movie so you're not yeah. necessarily trying to p- figure out the the linear timeline of things and so some things can be uh, a little little messed with um so but I, I i don't know i mean i i kind of feel like i wonder if um cuz now that you're you're saying this I mean, it makes sense when you're when you're watching it and when it's when it's going backwards. Um, but thinking back on it, it's you're right that there are some things that are little loosey goosey in terms. But of this that. is this is my experience with Nolan, right? I've had right, this experience yeah. before, where I sit down, I try to actually figure out the movie, and it makes it worse. So that's why actually Tenet was kind of worked for me because I'm like, I'm just not even going to try. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it. I'm just gonna let it wash over me. And with this movie, I was like, every time I started leaning in and being like, "Who's who?" I just stopped, and I was like, "Whatever." Like, let's just see. It. Let's just see it play out. You know, um, right, right, and, right. And I don't know if that's. Um, I don't think that's a good thing about Nolan. Um, and I, I don't think he has that issue in every movie that he makes. Um, but when it does come forward, I think the uh, and uh, the audience member is left with a choice: Am I going to try to sit here figure, figuring out the movie? And if they decide to do that, then they're already behind with what's going on on screen because their their mind is trying to figure out what they missed, mm. and then they're missing even more, right? And that I think that's like a toxic trait about what didn't work for me in. Um, in um interstellar i missed things right uh, that the second watch it made it a lot better even my first watch of inception i didn't understand but at least i could just kind of when i was trying to figure it out what was happening in front of me wasn't anything crucial it was just like kung fu fighting you know or gun shooting like like the things you're watching in inception are like visual entertainment so the back of your mind can kind of start beginning to like there's piece more breaks things together. In, yeah, in, there's more there's more breaks in room. This movie doesn't have the breaks or room. Yeah. And that's what I was really hungry for, actually. Like towards that last third is I was like, I need some time to, to try to figure out yeah. like some stuff, right? And I think it adds to the movie's chaotic feeling as well. It adds to the movie's theme that it doesn't give you time. It works in that way because you feel more empathetic to Leonard. Um, it's kind of one of the genius parts of the movie is that 
um, sometimes you feel just as lost as Leonard does. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, and also in in terms of the perspective that you have with Leonard, where you're so tied into him as as the um, you know this is the perspective that you have throughout the movie, uh, but he's such a you know an obviously unreliable narrator, right? And yeah. In fact, it's it's set up that he is such an unreliable narrator. But even then, you still trust him to be telling the story, or trust him to to be going through the the, the backwards memories, basically. Um, and it, and it, and it's kind of interesting when you realize that in some ways he's, um, I don't want to say the villain, but he's uh, gone rogue, and you know by the end, you realize, you know, oh, he he's he's kind of inventing his own his own story. Um, when you totally took it for, you know, at face value, basically that, um, this is the guy he's, he's going after, you know, he's avenging his wife's murder, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it turns out that, that many of the, these things are, are just not true. Um, what do you think of that reveal, the sort of twist ending? Does it work for you? Is it interesting? Um, I think for me, it's one of those good reveals where it resets the the way you look at the at the characters, and you, it resets the way you look at at the rest of the story. Um, what did What did you think of it? I saw something like it coming because there are some great hints about sort of. Leonard's unreliability and being the storyteller with the way that he's reacting to the phone calls, um, how he's taking notes, regretting it, and then forgetting what the notes mean. Yeah, him, him um, scratching out certain yeah, notes, you know. Scratching out certain things where you're like, wait a second, like that was like, probably that? important, yeah. you know. Whatever you just scratch out. And then occasionally he breaks his own rules with having notes from other people that are written. Right differently and you're like wasn't that like one of your things is you're only going to listen to your own you know rules um so i think teddy's reveal at the end it's tragic but it's also like what is teddy doing you know like this is a horrible idea you know like whatever he's doing is like still he's still nefarious in a weird way totally Um, manipulating uh leonard into basically going after anybody who you know he thinks is is yeah. doing doing wrong you know totally like vigilantism yeah you know, teddy on, teddy on is essentially part. using leonard as a weapon yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah exactly uh, yeah. he's like this is my like like my muscle right um so like he kind of gets like I like that they didn't paint him as like a good guy. I think it was good that they painted him as somebody kind of kind of like shady. Um but he he rides that line really well. Even yeah. even at the big reveal, there's more sympathy for him, but he's still sort of you're like, "Well, you're still not a great person." Um and then I think you you have a better understanding of like who Leonard is by the end of the movie with um with his decisions in that last scene to kind of like he basically like leaves himself notes so that he knows that he's going to kill Teddy at some point 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, he which makes a decision pretty... in the future to kill yeah. Teddy. Yeah. So it's still like intentional, like murder, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the part with him writing down the license plate is really cool. Um, the moment where he's like, you know, he can't be trusted. The first time you see that that is established, um, with like Teddy handing him the bag of stuff and he looks in there and he's like, Oh, like this is like, I, I know I can't trust this guy, you know? What uh, he's, and, how and, that... and throughout the movie, you know, you've seen him, um, reference this, this, this Teddy picture, you know, it says Teddy, it has his phone number. And on the back it says, um, don't trust his lies. He's the one kill him, you know? So throughout yeah. the, th- from the, from the onset of the movie, um, we know that that he's you know gotten the impression that that Teddy is you know someone not to be trusted, and so you're kind of you're wanting to to get that evidence where you don't you don't have the the reason why he shouldn't trust Teddy yet, um, and so when the end when you when it sort of is that reveal, um, I think that's that's some of the best sort of some of the most interesting storytelling Nolan does is that, that sort of backwards reveal of something that you've always known, um, finding new context and new understanding, uh, from something from previous. Um, I just find that to be such an interesting storytelling device, knowing the answer at the end, but not knowing why basically, Mm -hmm. or knowing Mm -hmm. the answer from the beginning, but not knowing why. Um, yeah yeah and i love that moment there's there's a moment that i i think about a lot it's probably the most that i remember this movie for other than that that really interesting backwards opening that i think is cool um in in kind of the 13 year old uh brain way you know um but there's that that moment where he's having that phone conversation and you've been hearing this conversation all throughout the movie and then he opens the um the bandage at his thigh and it says never right. answer the phone and he asks wait who is this and the phone clicks the, i mean that's chilling stuff it's so yeah. good that's like you know Top the, implication, the implication is that Natalie's talking to him? No, no, no. It's Teddy. Teddy's talking to him. Oh. Oh. Because remember, um, the front desk man says something about there's yes, a there's the this police man. officer, you know, he's been he's been hounding you, blah blah blah. He wants to um and then I don't think it's the front desk guy, but it, it could be Natalie. Someone says something about him being um, him, like putting notes under your um, under your door to like intimidate you and whatnot. And it's it's right. a police officer. And then you find out later that Teddy is an undercover cop, um, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it all wraps together pretty well. Um... I feel like I don't have too much more to say about it besides the fact that I'm glad I finally got to see it. Yeah. And um, it's nice to see Nolan kind of in that smaller space um, because he gets he gets very vast very quickly. Um, 
I want more of that. I'm hoping I'm hoping that that's what Oppenheimer is going to be like. I doubt it. I do I I I don't know. Like I think eventually <laughs> eventually we will get Nolan doing the smaller scale stuff again. I um, doubt it, but I do think you know, this movie in some ways it has um like I said, it's like a distillation of what Nolan his like sort of premise when it comes to filmmaking is where it's he's experimenting with time with editing with the way that we watch movies in terms of perspective how we perceive movies in in a linear timeline um and i think he it's a grand experiment in that way where he's he's challenging us to watch a movie backwards He's challenging us to accept a story where we don't know what what comes before, um, and we have to piece things together in a you know in a backwards fashion. So I think I really do think he, um, in one of his very first movies, he is <clears throat> planting the seeds that will come to be kind of his bread and butter in the later parts of his career. And I think in some ways he does it so well here that when you get to Tenet, it's, you know, it seems even messier than it does in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, this is such a, a, a pinpointed experiment. And even if it is a little messy, I think in some ways it works well enough that, that I think it's, it's kind of brilliant and it's a hard, I mean, this is a hard movie to make, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. making a, a, a backwards movie, a backwards mystery that, that kind of reveals as it, as it unfolds, you know, I mean, it's, that's a challenging thing to put together and it's fun to, to see that side of Nolan. So, um, I think this is one that if you haven't seen and, you know, maybe even if you're an, a Nolan critic, I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting one to to look into what he's trying to do in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we started here. I do want to watch Insomnia next. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? Sure. Yeah, no, we, we can watch that. I know you mentioned The Prestige. Mm-hmm. I have seen it. Yeah. I hated this movie. Okay. So All right. much. When I had first seen it, and it was in that middle school time frame as well, so maybe we can put that thing to the test, right? Let's second time, vi- second time watch is going to be a much better experience. I, I think, think it you're going to like the prestige. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot. I have a feeling. I have a feeling I'll like it, but I hated that movie when I saw it uh, when I was younger. It's so funny. Juzo said the same thing, and then he watched it again, and he he liked it. He didn't like love it. He thought it was kind of one of Nolan's lesser movies, but. Um, when I saw the prestige, I was blown away. I think, I think I saw the dark Knight, Batman begins, then the prestige. And I think that was the third Nolan movie that I'd seen. And then I saw inception. So, Mm -hmm. so like in that order, I was kind of like, you know, in the Batman realm and then being kicked out of it into the prestige was like, it was mind blowing. And there is a, I mean, you've seen it, so the I think the the twist ending I think is just incredible. It's so insane, but also just amazing. Um, 
I don't know. I find that movie to be a ton of fun. So let's put it, let's put it after insomnia. So in two weeks. Yeah. And the thing about it that I'm interested to watch is that I really don't remember anything about it except for how mad I was about the ending. (laughs) So it it will be a lot of fun to visit. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of great things in there that I just erased out of rage. Uh, and then we can, we, I mean, if we if we can line it up, we can always do Oppenheimer in theaters and review. I think that would be a very trending uh, episode. But I, I'm open to visiting something else from him as well. I, I think I haven't seen Dunkirk in a while. I really haven't seen Inception in a long time. So, uh, did we but do those Dunkirk movies, for this show? We did Tenet. So it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if we watched Dunkirk somewhere mm. in there. I've always wanted to do a triple feature of Dunkirk, the movie about Churchill, and then Saving Private Ryan. Darkest like, Hour, yeah. Yeah. I always thought that would be a great, like... Wait, have you seen Darkest Hour? No, I have not. I have oh, not man, Darkest it is Hour. so good. Darkest yeah, Hour is I, incredible. Imagine if you put... To, actually, that's a great idea. If you put together some kind of chronological historical <laughs> like timeline of movies, oh my goodness, that's a great idea. You know? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it would be you could move straight into the Cold War out of World War II. You know, you can end Death with of like, Stalin. Yeah, yeah, you can go into Death of Stalin after the pianist or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh man, that that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, you put together. And then you intercut them all, all the different movies with go straight know. into Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, throw a little deer hunter in there. It's kind of a kind of a good experiment. Maybe I'll I'll do that. It'll be like a fifty hour TV episode or something. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you could do it. You could do it. You can go back to World War One, get into the cowboy stuff too. Yeah, Death of the West. Bang. <laughs> An entire century of cinema right there. Right. No, I mean, we could go back earlier, but we could do it Cleopatra times. <laughs> well, that sounds like a plan. And I just, again, I want to apologize one more time to the audience. Sorry about last week. We do try to post every Tuesday. Uh, we are going to be back next Tuesday. I well, I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, it's my are fault. Are we going to be back? No, no, no. Are we, we going to be back on, on Tuesday, Cameron? Because it we're is 4th of Tuesday. July. Are we going to no, do we're, that? No, we're back on Tuesday. 100%. I mean, I'm I'm going to be out of town on t- on Monday, so. We could uh, do Sunday. I could I come know. over. I live close to you now. No, I know. I think I'm going up to Auburn for the weekend, so I got to oh, figure okay. that out. All right. Well, All we, right. Could, well, we can figure out something. I'll tell you what. I will we're doing Insomnia watch. next week. I know. I'll try to watch Insomnia, like, soon. Okay. So we can we can figure out recording All right. from that point. But sounds good. All right. Why don't I just come over to your house? Because I live like ten minutes from you. Yeah, this is crazy. I can't even believe. It. Can you imagine the content that people are gonna get after I get married? <laughs> <laughs> We're in a crazy season right now, but after I get married, yeah, it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be better. You know, we're we're in a weak spot right now, but it's just because I'm. I'm in a vulnerable position in my life. <laughs> been there, Cameron. I've been there. <laughs> I know, I know. I know. But it'll it'll get more regular, you know, after this. Yeah. We'll we'll get it dialed in for sure. Okay. Isaac can see all the patchwork boxes in the back <laughs> of my 
<laughs> I, I I'm not even I'm not fully moved in yet. My I needed to set up my desk so that I could record with you today. So Hey, it worked out. It worked out. It did. Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim, for the you know, Nolan month, but he's gonna hate it, isn't he? <laughs> he's you know gonna it. be so upset. All right, Cameron. Till next week. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.